Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante. He is T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, my friend, how are you doing? It's a new week of conversation about Penn State football. Yeah, and uh, interested to see where today goes because there's a lot of stuff going on, but at the same time, there is no news. You know, we're in the middle of June. I like this time of year because we can get into some more deeper philosophical conversations about football, how, the why, you know, all the things I really, really like. This is the time of year I do, um, you know, sort of continuing ed on football as well, where I have some time to dig into some topics, analytics, different things that I find interesting. And and so like there's a more laid back approach to, to football talk this time of year that I like, but I understand also it's like, this is where you and I got to get creative of, uh, you know, filling, filling the show. Well, it's funny. We always think about that week to week. Okay. What are we going to talk about this week? It's the off season, but then stuff always comes up. And I do think a lot of these things are more fascinating and that's a great segue into our first quarter which I want to have a conversation with you about Drew Aller and some of the con, uh, comments that James Franklin made about him in his press conference last week. So we'll start with this, T. Frank. Gee, this Drew Aller kid, pretty good, huh? <laughs> so this is the funny thing is everyone asked a thousand different permutations about Drew Aller. And James Franklin is, is really good about trying to answer your question no matter what, even though he is firmly maintaining, the staff is firmly maintaining, Drew Aller is not the starting quarterback. But, you know, some of the better questions are about Drew and what he could be, not if he is the starter. So, um, you know, we, we did start with how's the quarterback competition going? How does that work? Blah, blah, blah. Those Those kind of basic questions which are necessary because, you know, it does at least a little bit pinned down the coaching staff of uh, how, how the process is going to work, even though James Franklin is a, is a pro at this point and absolutely was not pinned down in any way about the starting quarterback uh, last Thursday when we talked to him. But yeah, uh, most of the questions were about Drew Aller and the potential of this team, which, uh, you know, it is as much as you want to talk about defensive tackles and the offensive line in the running game, all of those are to serve the quarterback to prop up what could be a transformative player or help a young guy get through some games so that Penn State can be a winning program. And that's going to be the biggest storyline of next year by far. N.T. Frank, he talked specifically about Drew Aller's arm strength, which prompted you to do an article, which I really loved. If you get a chance to read it from T. Frank, uh, talking about Drew Aller's arm strength and what that does as far as opening up other opportunities on the offense. And that's what we're going to get to, that it's not just the deep ball, it's everything else that that extraordinary arm strength will open up for the team. But, T. Frank, I want to start first, though, about the deep ball, because it seemed at times Sean Clifford would struggle with that. And the hope is that Drew Aller, with that arm strength, there's also going to be more accuracy with the deep ball. Yeah. So let's, let's actually start with Clifford 
because this is something that's that's I find interesting and and I I've characterized him as a, you know a poor deep ball thrower as an inaccurate deep ball thrower. So I went back and I said, am I correct about that? Because I'm only watching one guy, not watching all of college football. I do some stuff with other teams every once in a while, but I don't ever like dive into another program. Uh, so I looked at some of the average numbers for deep completions over 20 yards the last year and then kind of compiled it over the last three years. And uh, over Sean Clifford's career, if the average is 35% a completion percentage, just raw completion percentage on deep balls, Clifford was about 31, 32%. So he is basically an average deep ball thrower. Great quarterbacks are 40%. And that is still less than 50%, as you may have noticed in the numbers. Certain teams and certain schemes create higher percentages, and I think that might be part of the skewed perception because Ohio State and what um, Ryan Day does in his offense, it's vertically based, and they have the receivers to pull off some crazy offensive concepts that actually don't translate to the NFL, by the way, which is why Ohio State quarterbacks kind of struggle is because they don't actually have the processing power because what they're doing is basically like, Hey, is Marvin Harrison jr. Open? No. Okay. Then throw it to the other guy in that route combination. There's not a whole lot of read the full field sort of stuff. So when you have these comparison baselines, you got to know what are you actually aiming for? So I would say, you know, there's also this term adjusted completion percentage, which is when you strip out receiver drops, throwaways, uh, bad ball, things that aren't quarterback accuracy. How accurate is a quarterback? So Sean Clifford lagged behind a little bit, but he was not this horrible deep ball thrower that maybe, you know, I characterized him as as well. So the, the goal of Drew Aller, I think, to start is just be slightly above average. So we're not asking him to be worlds better than Sean Clifford, but be average. And if you are special in certain situations, maybe you go 50% in deep ball completion in a game. You don't miss the obvious open ones is another thing that I think is the is the the key of a good deep ball thrower is that when you have the easy completion, you make it. Um, and I think those are those are the standards and the baselines we need to set when we talk about Drew Aller and, and throwing a deep ball. I'm glad you brought that up and how you did, because it's easy for us to just anecdotally see some plays and, and pass judgment. And I don't know how the analysis works on uh, all the balls, but there were plays where I felt that Sean Clifford, where he placed the ball, and it's not just accuracy, it's are you throwing the ball away from the defense? Yes. In a sense, throwing the receiver open. He seemed to struggle at that, and I'm not sure how that gets classified statistically. But I think having the arm strength probably makes those deeper passes easier for a guy. But what's, let's get to pretty much the point of our segment, though, we wanted to get to, which yeah. was in your article. It's not just that deep ball, though, where arm strength comes into play. And just as an aside to you, Frank, I love that you used as your example the T formation, which I always yeah. love to talk about anyway. Yeah. So I think you were catering to me with that article. <laughs> but explain why that arm strength is so important, not just for the deep ball. Yeah, because the field is also lateral. And I think people tend to think of the the field in linear terms because you need to get a first down in order to 
move the chains and to continue on offense. But so much of college football is lateral space because the field and the boundary splits are so dramatic. To review for people that don't understand, the college hash marks are wider than in the NFL. The NFL has a much narrower hash marks, so the field is more balanced. There isn't this massive, you know, 35 yards of lateral field as opposed to what it is in the NFL as it is in college. So almost all decisions are based off where are you on the field? Boundary, field, are you in the middle? Like, is it a balanced thing? So James Franklin, when he went, I'm just going to read the quote here because this is what set it up. And this is, I was just looking for an example of what he said here, just to illustrate it for people over at Blue White Illustrated. Um, So this is what he said. Most college defenses will give you something they have to. So most college defenses are going to give you the furthest flat. So the ball is in the boundary. They're going to try to make throwing into the boundary, the short area of the field. They're going to make that as difficult as possible, but they're going to give you the furthest flat, the field flat, because most colleges can't make that throw, whether it's a hitch or a hinge or whatever. Um, He has the ability to make those throws and make you defend 53 and a third, which is really valuable. So really the the conversation here is Sean Clifford could get the ball over there, but he couldn't get over there with enough velocity to shorten the time and allow the receiver to catch and run. That was another thing James Franklin brought up when he talked about, um, you know, accuracy going with Aller's arm strength. But the illustration is, and this is one of the things I, I, I find most interesting in college football, picked up on this probably during the pandemic, watching Ohio State in certain games. Teams would just play cover three, which is three deep safeties. It's a shell to keep the the deep passing game in check uh, while also playing as many people in underneath underneath coverage as possible. The weakness of cover three in college is the far flat. That's what James Franklin is talking about. Your linebacker, your Sam linebacker, who we talk about all the time in terms of he's got to be fast. He's got to be a safety. This is the reason why his responsibility is from wherever he lines up in cover three all the way to the sideline. So that's like 25 yards of lateral area. So we talk about defending the run and his gaps. Like that's almost a secondary thing for a Sam linebacker because he's also going to defend against screens and these hitches that James Franklin is talking about. If you've got a quarterback with elite arm strength and accuracy, you can get a free six yards because your cover three corner is lined up seven yards off the line of scrimmage and he's immediately bailing to his responsibility. It's on the Sam linebacker to read that and try to undercut that route. All of this is very visual, but I hope I'm doing a good job of explaining it in in a very visual way. So you have this essentially voided area where if you can throw a hitch or a screen or a bubble over there very quickly with power, timing, and accuracy, it's about giving the receiver the opportunity to create, to catch the ball and run or throw the ball so fast that the, it's an easy completion for six yards on first down. And now it's second and three. And how do you, you know, now the world's your oyster. You can do whatever you want. So that's kind of the idea of arm strength. The, the comparison I used, because it was the one I found quickest, by the way, uh, was it was third and two. Penn State was in their T formation. They explode into a screen into the boundary with four eligible receivers, the quarterback uh, under, uh, in the shotgun by himself, and then Tyler Warren all the way over to the field side. And my point was, there's a there's a safety seven yards off of Tyler Warren. If Drew Aller has the arm strength and accuracy to hit him very quickly with that football, he is in. There's no safety help. If he breaks a tackle, that is a big play waiting to happen. So Penn State's offense 
can evolve in that area with a different strength from Drew Aller, who might not take the quarterback option, the running option, which is what Sean Clifford did in that situation. The numbers were correct. He ran the ball. He got a first down. But the opportunities for big plays and to balance the field, that's what arm strength can do. A legitimate threat to get the ball to Tyler Warren, let him break a tackle and make a big play. And in that specific situation, you have the defense... They were in a short yardage defense because that's where Penn State started with their T formation. Yep. By spreading it out, you've got someone one-on-one with uh, Tyler Warren with no help behind him, which is also part of the reason why he's giving him the big pad, the seven yards. Yeah, yeah. Basically, what they're saying is um, this safety is going to break on the ball so quickly that he'll tackle you for two yards. Maybe you'll get the first down, but you're not getting the big play. With the quarterback with a strong arm, that is very much a possibility that that one player makes a mistake and you've got a big play. That's it for quarter one. We've got lots more to go. Stick around. Quarter two is coming up. Hey, guys. This is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. He is T. Frank Carr. I'm Jim Galante. We are talking Penn State football. Quarter number one, we were talking about Drew Aller and uh, just his arm strength, some of the things that uh, James Franklin talked about with him and how that opens things up. Uh, T. Frank, this segment, I want to talk to you about June. It's a big, big recruiting month, another mm-hmm. big recruiting weekend. A lot of names are being thrown out there. Uh, we're hearing, we're reading about them all over the place. Just want to get your take on some of these players. Give us the a little bit of a scouting report and what they are all about. But before we get there, could you just explain real quickly how this the recruiting calendar works? Why is June so important? Yeah. So official visits are um, allowed. This is the part where I, I I'm still learning a lot of this stuff. You know, this is really like my 
second year in the recruiting stuff full time. Um, I believe you're allowed to take official visits in May, like the at the end of May, but nobody does. So it's this four week mad dash to get your top recruits on campus for an official visit, which the school can pay for. And it's the roll out the red carpet sort of thing. I made the joke the other day that official visits are kind of like prom where you get all dressed up. And this is the difference is like, you know, the photo shoots where you see the Penn State prospects in the full uniform in Beaver Stadium in all these things. They do that kind of year round now. But at the same time, this is when it's real. This is the date where you do or where Penn State wines and dines without the wine because these kids are 18 uh, to, to really like show them the full package of this is how much we want you. And this is why you should come to Penn State. It's the final sales pitch. And you get all dressed up, you know, you, you get all the stuff going on and you try to make it official. If you can, if you're the school, you try to get a guy to commit because, hey, look how awesome this weekend was. Look at all of this, this stuff that we were able to to show you and do with you. And, you know, for Penn State, their whole family sales pitch, which is not a say it's not a sales pitch. That is how they operate. But like that's their thrust of like, hey, you come here. It's not just a business transaction like your family. We're going to treat you like family. Here's the full force of how we feel about that. And and so that's kind of the process through June is you get your top players to come for an official visit and then they either commit or they go on and they see other schools and then they make their final decision in July. Um, but, you know, guys sometimes just make it official after the visit because they always wanted to go to Penn State. So like Xavier Gilliam, that was kind of the vibe of Xavier Gilliam and Dewan Lane a couple weeks ago, which is these are guys that wanted to go to Penn State. They were just waiting until the official weekend to kind of have a celebration and make it all official then. That's at least how I personally read situations like that. But it's very different for this past weekend where Penn State had some of their top targets that have national recruiting chops and and are going to go to other schools and compare and contrast the official visits. And you also have to understand, especially at the top level recruits, these are wonderful weekends. As you said, they get wined and dined figuratively, if not literally. There are four, five, six wonderful trips that you could make. You don't want to give that up. And yeah. so uh, for a lot of these players, they may visit their favorite, know this is where they want to go, but they also want to make those other visits. Yeah. One other thing to point out is I've never heard of a bad official visit. It always goes yep. well because you're putting your best foot out there. So we're not going to talk about who's going to be the guy that's going to commit, but I want to get a bit of a scattering report. Let me give you a couple names. I want to start wide receiver. This is a position, no commits there so far in this class, but the name we keep hearing about is Nick Marsh. He's the wide mm -hmm. receiver from Michigan. What could you tell us about him, T. Frank? Uh, he's really good. Um, interesting. So, so our whole conversation about receiver positions and body type and poorly, by the way, I asked Mike Yersich, like, does it matter where you get explosive plays from? When the question really is, is it easier to get explosive plays from the outside of the formation? Uh, but uh, long story short, Nick Marsh is the next body type. He is that X receiver. He's six foot three. He's 198 pounds, vertical ability, great leaping, uh, great catch radius, great hands. The only thing I'd say he doesn't necessarily possess is explosive speed. But like Penn State is a really good weight program and they've shown guys like Jahan Dotson. When you put in the time, you can get faster. And at six foot three, um, possibly 210, 215 pounds when he is a fully mature football player. 
you don't need to run a four, four, like that would be great. Now you're a first round draft pick, but if you run in the four fives and you have all those other skills, that is a guy that is a complete receiver at that position and gives balance to the formation. Like we just talked about with a field and, and the boundary. If you've got a legitimate one-on-one threat in the boundary, now you've got, you've put the defense in a huge problem and they have to figure out who they're going to double and where they're going to allocate their resources. Because if you leave that guy one-on-one, it's a shot play. Um, and, and Nick Marsh has those skills. Um, one other thing I would say that I like about this particular weekend and how it kind of breaks out every week. It seems like every year Penn State has all their committed, verbally committed players come the same weekend so they can get like class photos, essentially, you know, let all those guys be together as a group and further cement those bonds. It's interesting that a lot of their top targets that are uncommitted were also here this weekend to kind of like, okay, so here's the group. Now you can see yourself with this group of players, right? Nick Marsh. You can see <laughs> how you fit in with the six, eight offensive lineman and the quarterback that can throw from any platform. Like now, you know, these guys, you know, their vibe. It's a very smart thing that Penn State, I think, tries to do every year. Now, obviously, not all of their top targets will be there for one weekend. There are other guys coming other weekends for scheduling purposes. But, you know, the guys we're going to talk about, not to not to steal your thunder here, but like Jameer Grimsley, Nick Marsh, Jamonte Waller, uh, Malachi Williams, these are all top targets at their positions here with the committed players it's just very smart a lot of what james franklin and his staff does just very smart stuff it is and i do believe they do that every year and no it is not a coincidence let's hit some of the guys you mentioned you mentioned williams uh he's the defensive end out of what uh where is he from philadelphia philly right yep uh what can you tell us about him? We, we're we now seeing a trend of good defensive ends at Penn State. Yeah. Could he be the next one? Possibly. Um, toolsy, super athletic, six foot five, perfect build uh, for a guy that that is going to play defensive end. And defensive end is a height, weight, speed position where kind of like running back, if you're missing those, it's harder for you to be a, an impact player, like a truly impact player. And, Malachi Williams has all of those traits. I'm digging a little bit further into his full game film to see how he plays the position specifically. And unfortunately, I came across the the first game I came across was a triple option team. So he's guarding the pitch the whole time. I'm like, why is he not taking on any of these blocks properly? Like I was concerned at first, like, is he just (laughs) shy for contact? And then I realized, no, 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 this is a triple option team. He's got to do that to to keep a corral on everything. So like, again, high school is going to high school. But, um, you know, he's got great length. I think he's got good hand usage, good understanding of the position. And just like I said, elite traits. He's a top 100 or uh, sorry, top 200 player in the on 300, meaning he's one of the best players in the country in terms of projecting to the next level. Um, but I, I will say he's not the same guy as what Penn State has brought in, whether it's the transfer portal where Chop Robinson, there was just like unreal tools there in terms of explosiveness or deny Dennis Sutton when he had the the NFL size in high school Malachi Williams is a bit more of a projection a little bit more like 2023 than 2022 uh, but still a, a high-end defensive end prospect uh, very good here's the other name and I'm gonna give it a shot to pronounce it New Jersey safety Vabu Torre did I get that correct yep um, We're hearing a lot of his name being thrown around a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. What can you tell us about him? That he is a Anthony Poindexter special. So it, it, he's another one that I, 
I was in, it's interesting whenever I do these analysis and this is always going to get into what they do in high school, which isn't the point. Like the point is not what they do in high school is going to project how they play in college if you're good enough, right? So Vabutori is fast enough, he's big enough, and he hits well enough to play either position. But if you're looking at Penn State's top targets, he's in that top target category. Uh, Dewan Lane is almost 6'3". He's 200 pounds. Vabutore, closer to 6'1", uh, has great burst and closing speed, and he plays in a two-high defense, so he is more of that deep free safety. So I like his comparative skills, considering he's also a big dude who can run and hit and play with versatility. Um, so so it the, the problem is, like, a lot of times he's just not doing a whole lot in, in uh, high school because... You know, he's uh, just preventative measures at safety, which is a lot of what you do is you don't see the ball come his way. But great instincts, uh, flies the football, both as a run defender and in coverage. And just like Dewan Lane has a lot of skills to get the football. So in, in Manny Diaz's defense with all this pressure, jumping routes, anticipation, I think he's got those skills. He just needs to tackle. This is a dude that'll throw a shoulder at anything. I think he throws a shoulder at an Arby's bag in the drive through because he just he's going <laughs> to he, he doesn't wrap up. Uh, that that's one thing he has to learn. But other than that, excellent prospect with very few holes. So, you know, if Penn State lands these top two guys, excellent job of getting top prospects and deepening that pool of talent at safety. Whenever you talk to me about a safety who likes to hit, I get all excited, T. Frank. That That's what I want to hear. Uh, the other name I wanted to ask you about, and stop me if you've heard this before, a defensive back from Florida yeah. <laughs> looking at Penn State, and that's uh, Jameer Grimsley. Um, he's a four-star prospect, and it sounded like he had a good visit with Penn State, like everybody else Yeah, you know, had, had a good visit. What can you tell us about Grimsley? He would be Penn State's highest-rated defensive back if he were to join the, the program, and that includes John Mitchell, who's a highly-rated defensive back. Um, what, what they don't have really... They have a couple guys that are six one, you know, six foot, good athletes. Uh, but Jameer Grimsley is six two, runs like a deer. He is that high end cornerback prospect that would kind of put that that group over the top with talent and depth and exceptional potential. So he is a he's uh, among the good players. He's a good player. So he would be kind of a top top-of-the-board prospect that Penn State would want to bring on, and that's underscored by the fact that Alabama is the other school in his recruitment. Uh, I want to get one guy in here, so I'm going to jump ahead because I think this guy might sure. be the most important outside of Nick Marsh this weekend, and that would be Jamonte Waller from uh, Mississippi. He is a six-foot defensive end prospect. He is so good at football that he's six foot, 230 pounds, and he's a defensive end prospect. So he's like three inches too short, but he's so electric, athletic, explosive, and strong that he is a, a guy that Penn State wants to have in this class as an edge rusher. I think he's a true hybrid player if he does that, and Penn State uh, is in a great position with him from what I understand. But um, he's kind of another national prospect Penn State has their their foot in the door with all right that is it for quarter number two stick around we've got your questions and we're going to ask t frank hey guys this is andrew from 409 tailgate club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set 
Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim. He's T. Frank. It's quarter three. That means it's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions. T. Frank gives you the perfect answer every time. And at Uh, the end of the segment, he will decide who gave us the best question, and they will win our prize of the week, which comes from our good friends at 409tailgateclub.com, where you can find all kinds of barbecue sauces and rubs, their great Bloody Mary mix, and the rubs include their new coffee barbecue rubs. Mr. T. Frank, are you ready to roll? As ready as I can be. Okay, let's start with our good friend Jimmy in Forest City who says, T. Frank, which is more solid, your new retaining wall or Penn State's offensive line? Which positions do you feel need some reinforcement on the all-line? So those who don't understand the reference, T. Frank last week told us all about his retaining wall that he is putting up. Which is stronger, your wall or the <laughs> offensive line, T. Frank? Oh, I've reached. I've officially reached the point of saying things that I don't remember what I've said. Like I've said, I, I'm on so many shows now that I that I forgot talking about this. Um, well, both are. Uh, I would say Penn State's offensive line is more tested than my retaining wall at this point because uh, it is not done yet. So that is a uh, that's a red flag. They at least have, you know, a complete offensive line. Um, What was the rest of the question? (laughs) I was still thrown by the fact that I was like, are you? Are you driving by my house? This is getting creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Jimmy's a little bit creepy, but he, he, no, last week, see, that's what you get on our show, T. Frank. You end up talking about pizza and retaining walls on yeah. our show. Um, the other part was, is there any part, like I'm sure there is for your retaining wall, is there any part of the offensive line that needs reinforcement? Yeah, just this actually the same exact spot, the right side. You know, the left side near the the garage is almost done. Like we've almost reached the height we were going for. 
Uh, but further down the bank, the you know, I, I've struggled with some structural problems on the right side. And I just think that, you know, we know this is the problem is like I've spoken with Caden Wallace. I, I think he's a really smart, introspective guy that knows what his weaknesses are and is trying to get better. But at a certain point, like he's what he is. Like, is he a guy that's going to be able to protect the edge and and be a quality i'll just say even average starting right tackle in big 10 football which is a guy that gets beat sometimes is definitely the weaker of the two but isn't the the guy that's going to be the all you know the all american the all big 10 player um i i i want you know this is the the whole thing of like i don't root for penn state but i want to root for caden because he's a guy that gets it and works hard and wants to be great and i think for as much as people are saying drew shelton's going to come in and take that job he wasn't very good as a pass protector last year and Penn state got away with it because Sean Clifford got out of pressure and Mike Yersich did a great job of scheming around a freshman left tackle. He did not look good in the blue white game. Uh, Like, and by not look good, I mean, he actually looked actively bad in terms of things he was trying to do and he wasn't able to do them. He's another guy that's working really hard and, and has put in the work. Like, again, I saw him at a camp recently you know, for the prospect camps, some of the players come in and they, they help run drills. And my goodness, does he always look better? Like he's putting in the work to be a better athlete, to be a better offensive lineman. He looks fully offensive lineman now, but it is a hard position and flipping to the right side and using those techniques, the opposite hand. Like I, it's the one spot I'm concerned about uh, when it comes to the overall play of the position. And then I'd say Sal Wormley, there were some things that I saw Either Jordan Vandenberg took a huge step in the blue-white game or Sal Wormley is still struggling with some of those pass protection concepts at right right guard. So that right side in pass protection, obvious passing situations where Penn State has to throw the football, I do have some concerns there. That's going to be something I don't know that they're going to fix, but that you have to then you know, accentuate the strengths of your team and mitigate the weaknesses. That might be an area where they, they still can't drop back and do a seven-step drop back and let Drew Aller fling it all the time down the field. Let's go to Chad in Reading who says, I do not understand how the importance of the running back position has been minimalized in college football and even more so in the NFL recently. While a big-bodied and athletic defensive tackle is considered one of the most important positions after the quarterback. That seems oxymoronic. Why are running backs presented as an afterthought for big-time programs when defensive tackles that will counter them are so valuable? That's a, a great question, and there's a lot of convoluted sort of picking from certain buckets. Run, let's explain running back value. So this is an analytical principle uh, for people that love and hate PFF. This is something they've championed that running backs, quote, don't matter. That is uh, an inflammatory way to make a point. The running back is the most dependent player on other positions to do their job in order for that person to have success because you have to have competent blocking for a running back to have a lane. The running back's job is to make one guy miss on every play. You ask Saquon Barkley, you ask Nick Singleton, you ask Jaywan Sider. You got to make the unblocked guy miss. Um, That unblocked guy is supposed to be a safety four yards downfield or five yards downfield. So you're getting four yards before you have to do your job in terms of like the play. Now that's an oversimplification. The running back has to read the hole. He has to know what the d- defense is trying to do. He has to just on the fly. He has to be the most athletic player on the field, but he's dependent on everyone from the offense coordinator to the left guard doing their job before he is able to then shine. You look at Nick Singleton's best runs. You mentioned that Brenton strange was lead blocking on all of them. 
in college, a singular talent can overcome the talent gap at any position because the talent gap is bigger in college than the NFL. So that's where the convolution of running backs in the NFL, the talent gap between Saquon Barkley and Tyler Algieri, who uh, you know was very productive for the Atlanta Falcons last year, it's not as important to the success of the position. College is different because we've seen Saquon Barkley dominate games because guys that are never going to sniff the NFL are on the field with him. Uh, defensive tackle. Defensive tackles are devalued in the NFL as well, especially run-stopping defensive tackles. But that then goes back to the scarcity value all the way through. Like, this is a filtering process where in the NFL, you get all of the best, and all of the best, you know, of that group, only a few of them are completely... Uh, revolutionary they play the run in the past the same way and they're elite in every function i think the underrated value in the nfl specifically is finding a quality run stuffer so that you take the pressure off the rest of the defensive line and the defensive tackle position so you can play those undersized guys that get after the quarterback but you still need that one guy in the middle that is a problem for the run game and teams have gone a little too far away from that in my opinion so you do find these guys that are singularly valuable when they are quality run defenders in college, if you're the biggest, fastest, the strongest, and you're a defensive tackle, like that, you have shifted the the metrics of all of this to not matter. And in college, that's what it boils down to: is you know the Jimmys and the Joes cliche that you know everyone always talks about. If you've got those guys, it's just easier to win. So, uh, defensive tackle in college, that's why in recruiting you're looking for those guys because otherwise, then you have to adapt and adjust and then you have to make decisions in an ideal world you don't make decisions on whether you want size or athleticism james franklin has said we will never chase size for the sake of size sake so penn state is trying to find guys that can grow into being a complete player but the guys that are obviously and overtly complete players in terms of their physical skill set those are going to the top four or five programs in america on a routine basis so it's about making those decisions and recruiting those guys to uh, fill those needs in college. And then the NFL is a kind of a convoluted layer that muddies the conversation between the two different layers of football, levels of football, I should say. And I, th I think his commentary on the devaluing of the running back is more so in the NFL than it is at the collegiate level. Yeah. We saw this past season what a Nick Singleton and a Catron Allen can do for a run, for an offense. Yeah. Um, can I can I just quickly on the, rever on the sure. reverse side of that, and I, I want to get to more questions, but... Miles Sanders is a good running back. He had, he had a breakout season because Jalen Hurts and the read option in Philadelphia helped open holes for him. So the scheme gave him more running room, and then he had a, a career year. He stayed healthy, and he improved, but he had a better environment. The running back is so dependent on the environment, and that's, that's really what we're talking about here. Good and negative. And I'm sure the Eagles are confident in letting Miles Sanders go that they can still get production from running back field yes. without uh, Miles Sanders. Uh, this next question, like I said, it was initially sent to Andy, but I want to give it to you. This is Josh from Morgantown who says, next season when Penn State gets a third and 11 on defense and Manny Diaz puts in the Prowler package, who do you think are the best 11 on the field and what role are they playing and how do you see the Prowler package changing throughout the season? That part I can't anticipate because that's all dependent on the talent and how it evolves. Uh, Kate, I'm not going to go through all 11, but uh, I'll highlight the players that I think are important. Abdul Carter is going to be very important in how they use him because he can be used in multiple ways. 
KJ Winston and Jalen Reed. Somebody from that group, I think, is going to be that uh, spy defender. Um, and then it becomes who's the best blitzers. That's one thing we learned about Tig Brown last year is he came out of he came out of coverage more often because he was a better blitzer as a as a corner and as a safety than some of the other guys. Johnny Dixon, I think, is going to be really important. Do you leave him on the outside as a lockdown corner or do you let him go into the slot where he has some versatility to play slot coverage and blitz and present that? Because he got a couple sacks last year uh, on some good designed uh, schemes from Manny Diaz. So it's about is there a third corner? Is Cam Miller good enough that you can then use Johnny Dixon elsewhere? Because last year they had the depth at corner to make that work where you had Porter and King on the outside. So Dixon was a versatile chess piece. Now, what's the situation with Dixon? Where is his best skill? Because making sure that a bomb, you know, a 60 yard bomb out of those pressure packages doesn't happen. That's, that's the first priority. So is Dixon there or is Cam Miller good enough? And that's the whole issue with storm duck and his, his departure from the program is now you have less veteran depth that you can trust in those situations. So Dixon Carter, uh, the defensive ends are going to be very important. And I think deny Dennis Sutton where he lines up Zane Durant deny Dennis Sutton interior rushers that with, with deny Dennis Sutton has, you know, uh, the ability to rush on the outside as well. So the versatility and the unpredictability, those are the guys I'm looking for as far as the key players in this, in this personnel package. Do you picture seeing the three defensive ends in at the same time at Deesa Isaac yes. and I, Dennis Sutton and Chop Robinson in those kind of situations? The only problem I have is then how do you keep Zane Durant off the field? Like, this is a good problem to have is like, okay, so you've got somebody rushing. You've got Deny Dennis Sutton rushing from the three tech. Then you've got, then you've got four defensive linemen because you've got to keep, uh, you've got to keep uh, Zane Durant on the field. And if he's that nose tackle, he was rushing from a nose position last year with then, you know, edge defenders and outside linebackers, et cetera, et cetera with the versatility of that rush package, you might have like two stand-up edge defenders. I don't, the, the possibilities here are almost limitless. And that's the exciting thing is I don't know what to expect because they can do so many things. I get excited talking T formation and Prowler package, T Frank. All right, that is it for quarter number three. Stick around, quarter four, we're going to name our winner. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com 
for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. We headed to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. T. Frank, we just got done with our Ask T. Frank segment. We had fun with that. I know they're good questions. When we only get three questions in, that means you gave a lot of thought to your answer and put a lot into it, but you're going to have to name a winner. I feel bad for Jimmy in Forest City, by the way, because he had a great question. He's obviously dialed into what we're talking about to the point that he knows things I said that I forgot I said. Um, (laughs) It was a good question, but I think the one that that sparks more conversation was the Chad and Redding. And it's important to understand kind of the, the, the parameters of these conversations. And I, it was important. I thought that was a good question that brought up what, what I think is an, a needed clarification in these philosophical conversations about value. Um, and I just want to expand on that a little bit here quickly is that like the NFL also has a salary cap. So that's why these conversations are happening in the NFL. It's like you can't allocate $25 million dollars uh, to a lead running back if he is not the most impactful person for your dollars. In college football, it does not matter. Get the best players at every position. It's just when you have to make a choice, like a defensive tackle, in the traits that you're recruiting, that's when you have this, I would say, quasi-obsessive conversation that Penn State fans are having about defensive tackles because now it's becoming an inferiority complex about Penn State can't get these guys. Well, most programs can't get elite defensive tackles. So it's it's not um it's not a indictment of the Nittany Lions. It is a descriptor of where they are in the college football landscape, which again, I guess can be an indictment for the national championship or you failed category of, of fans. So like it is that's why it's so divisive and conversational. And I think it's an important distinction to make between the two levels of football. Also, Josh Morgantown had an awesome question about the Prowler package. I, I, you know, maybe we can repeat that one next week and get win. I don't know. <laughs> they were all good. They were all good. Well, I know you enjoyed the Prowler topic, as did I. So maybe we'll just make that even into a segment, uh, T. Frank. But I also want to point out when you're talking about the difference, T. Um, defensive tackle and running backs at the NFL level, and I'm glad you brought up, you know, the dollars and cents, and you've got to watch them because of the salary cap. Miles Sanders, who you mentioned, I believe it's now the four running backs that the Eagles have, their salary hit is comparable to Miles Sanders alone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which also, by the way, he went to Carolina. He went to Carolina, right? I think so. Yeah. They have a rookie quarterback, so that changes everything. You can afford to spend, like Carolina has has the affordability to spend at running back because they had uh, discount bin quarterbacks. So they they gave Christian McCaffrey a lot of money, um, and now they've got a rookie. So you have that flexibility. But once you find your quarterback, or once you find a really talented core, then you've got to make some tough decisions. That's that's the biggest thing in the NFL. And, and when you pay the quarterback, there's less to go around. One last point on the defensive tackle versus running back discussion. Also, is running back. You know. Uh, six foot, 210 pound, really good athletes are a lot easier to find than 
320-pound athletic guys. Yeah. So the scarcity at defensive tackle is part of that also. Uh, T. Frank, I'm going to use that as our segue into quarter four topic, which is there were discussions at the press conference that I want to hit on that are worthy of our conversation. And I'm going to start with the conversation about defensive tackle. Yeah. As you said, it's a ongoing conversation for Penn State fans and mostly about size. And I think... When you listen to James Franklin makes the comment last year, I think at the heat of the moment after a yep. loss to Michigan, he talks about getting bigger. And I got a feeling he probably regrets saying that because it now becomes that ongoing conversation and he's asked about it all the time. But he did make some comments about the defensive tackles. Specifically, he pointed out Akeem Beeman. He's bigger and stronger. Now, he was listed at 256 pounds, not the biggest defensive tackle in the world. Yeah. And I believe it was uh, uh, strength and conditioning coach uh, Chuck Losey who talked about Jordan Vandenberg, who I know is one of your favorite guys, Yep. that he's now up to 300, 300 pounds yep. and is strong as a bull, okay? Mm-hmm. So how do you react to these comments? It's got to be good news to hear that kind of conversation about the defensive tackles being bigger and stronger. Yeah, so I'll start with an area where I think I'm wrong a lot, and it's just a, a lack of understanding about strength and conditioning and the whole cycle that Penn State goes through every offseason. Um, how I understand it is that um, your initial period of strength training in February, January, that time is the time to gain weight. The high, it, uh, the technical term is the hypertrophy phase where you are lifting heavy, eating, trying to gain mass and strength. Then you refine that over the course of the year and learn, teach your body how to use that new muscle mass. But Penn State, uh, their guys continue to gain weight over the offseason. So Jordan Vandenberg was like 285 uh, during the spring roster update. And apparently he's now 300 pounds. Here's the other thing. I've said this a couple of different ways when James, you know, talking about James Franklin on a couple of different shows. When he was saying that after that game, I have a strong suspicion he was talking about just Akeem Beeman. Like he was talking about Beeman and his decisions with his weight that had been countered to what Penn State wants. When I asked him a follow up question in the spring, not that he used Hakeem specifically, but he said maximizing your frame maximize it's about being as big as you possibly can and still having functional athleticism and making sure all of our guys are maximizing their size. Penn state is not going to go out and get the biggest guys in the world that don't have athleticism. They're going to find the frame that they think they can add weight to and then uh, let that guy be athletic at whatever size it is. That is around 290 to 305 pounds. Like really PJ Mustafer was an outlier and that he played a nose tackle. If we, if we rewind this conversation, it was his decision to play at 325 because PJ thought he was a nose tackle in the NFL. So he wanted to play at that size. He thought he could be a better player if he was heavier. And I remember asking Brent Pry and it like, it was a conversation. It was a decision. PJ did it and they were happy with the results. He got injured. That sucked. And, uh, you know, this last season was not, I think, indicative of what he wanted that whole transition and transformation in his body to be. But that's an outlier. Penn State wants these guys active and aggressive and getting after the run. So it's about falling in line with the parameters, is what James Franklin said during the spring. And guys are now doing that. So 
if you've got the depth of the room that they do, and they've got a lot of guys, they don't have a lead guy. They don't have a guy that's a PJ Mustafer or, you know, somebody that is a transformative talent, but they've got a lot of dudes. And I think James Franklin is pleased that his uh, pseudo public campaign for this has seemed to resonate with his players. That's how I would read his comments and his conversation about that topic. And he did seem to comment that he was pleased with the depth there and the players. And I believe James Franklin. I know there are times when coaches fib, you know, there's meaning behind it. It's to incentivize uh, players, things like that. But I do believe him when he says he's happy with the progress there and the depth there. Of course, we shall see come come the fall, but it is yeah. promising if Akeem Beeman can put on the weight and it's good weight. And Jordan Vandenberg, we've seen some of those videos of him lifting. If yeah. he could translate that strength yeah. to the field, uh, yeah. that would be a very good thing. Here's the here's now, a, a follow up on that, not to, to cut you off. But like the other part of this conversation is there is not one player that exhibits all the traits you're looking for other than maybe Kaziah Izzard, who hasn't done it yet, who hasn't been, you know, when you're just with I, I shouldn't say when you're not available for the first four games, you you're not you're not exhibiting a full season's worth of being that guy. And even last year, he would flash and he's always flashed these really great traits that they're looking for from a defensive tackle, but he's never put it together all the time. Jordan Vandenberg doesn't have the longest arms in the world, but he's active, aggressive, and super strong. So can he overcome some of his deficiencies to play at a higher level? Hakeem Beeman has great length, explosion, tenacity, but he just can't keep the size on or chooses not to keep the size on. Can he play with a bigger a bigger presence next year? And it's not every play, but it's the important plays where sometimes he loses and then tries to get creative and, and overcome the loss by getting out of his gap. And that's what happened in the Michigan game, along with some straight up losses. So who's going to be the guy that overcomes whatever inherent deficiency they have at defensive tackle? Going back to our previous conversation of none of these guys were recruited with everything. Um, Zane Durant, same conversation. He's six one. He's not the biggest guy in the world but he's everything else you want. So who's it going to be? And kind of like receiver, I think James Franklin is spinning this in a positive way of look at all the options we have. We feel more confident now than we did in the winter that those guys, somebody's going to emerge. And even if it's a collective, they'll get the job done. They don't need to be the strength of the defense. They just need to not be a weakness. Let's turn to Manny Diaz talking about the young linebackers. We've all heard about Tony Rojas. Mm-hmm. And he his one issue was, could he play larger? Can he put the weight on? And he already has put on quite a bit of weight. But the name that intrigued me also was he talked about, don't forget about Tamir Robinson. And if you don't recall, he, he was injured his senior year. He missed. He was already playing in the spring game out there at middle linebacker, which is not the position necessarily that he played in high school. Yeah. But still got a lot of compliments from Manny Diaz, and I think that's a name that we've bypassed quite a bit. Yeah, this is a this is a nuanced conversation. So he played about four games at Mike Linebacker before getting injured, maybe two, and was exhibiting some good traits, but then was injured, so he had no idea really what the depth of that fit was. He looked more comfortable than I expected during the game. So this is me. I, I was not there to hear Manny's specific comments. I was talking to Mike Yersich, Um, So I don't know exactly what he said about him, but my understanding and what I saw of, of Tamir was that 
um, he was doing a lot of learning, which means he was getting coached a lot by Diaz during the spring and he was responding to it. And then when it came to presenting that learning in the spring game, he looked good. Like he looked more competent and more aware and had a better feel for the position than you would expect. I still don't think that means that he's going to be a contributor next fall. I think he'll play in four games. He'll be, you know, uh, maybe flash is a good player, but I don't think he's in the position right now where he's going to take over for either of the guys ahead of him. It's just, Hey, he's ahead of the schedule that we thought because he had so many unknowns in his, in his profile and what we were expecting of him. So it's a pleasant surprise that he gets it. And there's a positive projection for the future. Not necessarily this guy's going to play next fall. Now I could be wrong about that, but that's how I read that situation. Well, the nice thing is he doesn't need to play this fall. Yep. They don't need him to that. They could allow him this red shirt year. T Frank, unfortunately that is it. We're out of time. And thank you all for listening to our show. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.